Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Hopefully you've found Luke chapter 4 by now. As I mentioned, the last couple of weeks we've been in our missions convention, so the Sunday sermons have been focused on missions. Next week is Easter, so we're going to focus on the resurrection of Jesus. But for today, we're going back to Luke. We started last fall with a sermon series on the story of Jesus, and it's basically from the Gospel of Luke. We're just tracing Luke's account of Jesus' life from beginning to end. I know it's going to take us a while, but that's okay. Where are we going to go? We're going to look at God's Word. We'll take a break from time to time like we did for Missions Convention and for other things, but we're going to keep working our way through Luke. And today we're in Luke chapter 4. The title of my message today is Amazing Authority. Amazing Authority. Those words or words similar to that are found all throughout our passage today. Describes Jesus and what he's doing and the people's response. I just want to look at these two words for just a second before we jump into the story. The first one um, I want to look at is actually the second one. It's authority. What is authority? What does authority mean? It actually has two different definitions depending on whether you're talking about an ability or a person. Okay? If you're talking about a person, authority means a person who's looked at as an expert. They know what they're talking about. How many of you are an authority on something? It's not the source of pride, but there's something you know a lot about. Should be all of us. I mean, surely there's something you know a lot about, right? All right. How many of you have known people that thought they were authority on something and they, they really weren't? Yeah, we've known those kind of people too, right? So if it's a person, it's somebody who knows what they're talking about. Whether it's because they've studied it, they've got experience, or probably both. Okay? But it also has the meaning to have authority means power to exercise control. If you have authority, and those two things go together. If you are an authority, many times you have authority. You know what you're talking about, and you're in a position that you can take what you know to exercise control. That's what authority means. And we're going to see that that is the key word in this passage anyway that is used about Jesus and his ministry. But I also included the word amazing because it's mentioned a couple times in our passage. It says the people were amazed. It also says they were astonished. Amazing. What does amazing mean? Amazing means causing great surprise or wonder. Something that is astonishing. When was the last time that you were amazed by something? I mean, something just totally caught you off guard. Oh my goodness. It happens from time to time. But I just want to get some audience participation here today. How many of you can honestly say God's done some amazing things in your life? Lots of hands. Lots of hands. Let me ask you this. How many of you can say, you know what, from personal experience... There's been a time in my life, maybe more than one, but there's been a time I know 
that God has... Now, don't raise your hand yet. I want to clarify. But I know that God has healed me. Now, I'm not just talking about you had a little headache and you prayed and it went away. It's like, I think God healed me, but I don't know. Maybe it was natural. You know, and God may... I'm not denying that God healed. But there was a time in your life that you had a physical need and you prayed and you know God healed you. It may have been instantaneous. It may have taken some time, but you know that God was the one that was involved and he healed you. Raise your hands. Lots and lots and lots of hands. How many of you perhaps were in a situation where you, a lot of ways, you just felt depressed, you were just down, you were just, and you just sensed that it was more than just you're having a bad day. There was just some kind of spiritual attack against you. There was just some kind of force that was at work, and, and you just prayed and said, God, would you just help me? And God lifted that from you. How many would, you, would say, God's done that for you? Hands all over the place. Those are the kind of things we're going to see in our story today. Things that Jesus did and Jesus continues to do because he has amazing authority. So let's read through our passage here. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. And it's actually um, a couple of little events that are all tied together in the fact that they all took place in one day and then the next morning. This is a very, very busy day in Jesus' life, and it happens to be the Sabbath. And as Jesus always did, as we studied a couple weeks ago, the last time we were in Luke, that on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. He went to worship with God's people. It was important to him. And I preached that message two weeks ago, so you can go back and listen to it, watch it if you want to, if you weren't here, okay? But it's another Sabbath. And there's a number of things that happen on this Sabbath that illustrate all the things we've talked about. So let's take a look at it here, all right? In Luke chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 31, but just before this, and the last time we talked about Luke, we see the story of the first time, at least recorded in Luke, where Jesus ministers. And he's in his hometown called Nazareth. And he's at the synagogue. He's invited to share. He's invited to read God's word and to explain it and to teach on it. And he does. And, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses that say what he said. He read from the prophet Isaiah. This is found back in verse 18. I know that's not where I told you to turn, but let me read it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, not just the literal financially poor but those who are poor in spirit those who know they need God God has good news for them to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he told the people the people he'd grown up with the adults he'd known his whole life this is his hometown he says today the scripture is being fulfilled and the implication is I'm the one that's going to fulfill this as we talked about several weeks ago, the people of his hometown said, you're just Jesus. They were amazed that he had this much knowledge and he seemed to speak with authority, but it's like, not amazement like, wow, God's really at work. It's amazement like, who does he think he is? This is Jesus. Like I said, there are probably some older women in the synagogue that said, Jesus, I changed your diaper. And unfortunately, we laugh at that, and I understand, but unfortunately, their unbelief because this is just Jesus. He grew up here. He was a carpenter. He was the carpenter's son. He was a carpenter. Who does he think he is? Their unbelief led to rejection. In fact, it says they wanted to try to kill him. They weren't able to. He just walked away. And he left Nazareth, and there's no indication he ever went back. And even though Jesus perhaps could have anticipated that this would happen, 
you can't help but feel that he probably was very disappointed. It was probably very, very hurtful to him. But it's at the end of that that we pick up our story for today. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. He leaves Nazareth, and he goes down to Capernaum. And when you read the story of Jesus' life, you find that this now becomes kind of his, his uh, headquarters, the main place he is at home at. He's living there somewhere, and then he leaves there to travel some places, and he comes back to Capernaum. He goes from other places, and he comes back to Capernaum. It's kind of like his home base now, okay? And so it says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Again, in the synagogue, he's invited to teach. He teaches. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. They were astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. In just a little bit, he's going to not just say things, but he's going to deliver people. He's going to heal people. He's beginning his ministry. He's beginning all the accounts that we read about in the Gospels of when Jesus impacts people's lives in a positive way, in a very practical way. I love the summary of what Jesus did while he was on earth that Luke writes later in the book of Acts because Luke wrote not only the gospel of Luke but the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And so he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and they're amazed that he teaches with authority. What's the big deal there? They would hear teaching every week in the synagogue. They would hear teaching when they would go to Jerusalem for the great festivals. But there was something different about Jesus. What was it? He taught with authority. Does that mean the other teachers didn't have any authority? Well, you see, at that time and place, the rabbis, the teachers, would teach, and they would teach with authority, but not their own authority. What I mean by that is they would say, well, this is what God's word says. So because God's word says this, this is what we should believe. Or they would say, you know what? Rabbi so-and-so who lived a hundred years ago believed that this is what God was talking about. And Rabbi so-and-so, they would never quote themselves or just speak for themselves. They would always quote other people who were considered authorities so that they could be seen to have authority in what they said. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's many times I'll stand up here and we'll be talking about a passage of Scripture and it's a little bit muddy exactly what it means. And I'll say, you know, most Bible scholars believe. And I'm not doing that to try to bring myself more authority. I'm just trying to say, hey, I've studied this and this is what a lot of Bible scholars believe about this passage. Okay, And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, even in the Old Testament, when there are prophets that were speaking for God, they never spoke in their own authority. They said, thus saith the Lord. And you know what? I do that too. When I read God's word, I say, this is what God's word says. If God said it, this is what God says. I believe it. It's true. We can count on it. But what made Jesus different is he didn't have to depend upon somebody else's authority. He didn't have to say, well, this is what God says. I mean, he did quote scripture. But you see, he was God. And he came in the flesh. And so when he spoke, he spoke as God. Now, these people didn't understand this at this time, but because he was able to speak that way and he spoke the truth and he did such with such authority, it amazed them. You know, we get amazed by miracles and they are too. We get amazed by the supernatural and they do too. But they're amazed by the words of Jesus because they have authority. Let's go on. Verse 33. 
And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So here we see Jesus healing a man with an unclean demon by casting that demon out. I like what John tells us in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. So we see Jesus is teaching. And there's a man there who has a demon. And, and there's a lot of things you can study about demon possession and oppression and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of things that are not real clear, like how does someone end up having a demon working actively in their life or, quote, taking possession. Although I will tell you this, that some of the things that are portrayed, not that I've watched many of them at all, but I don't know if I've watched any of them, but, but are portrayed right here, that are portrayed in movies about people that are demon-possessed. A lot of that stuff is not real biblical, okay? But there is some that is. It's like, how does somebody get into that position? And, and the only thing I can tell you that what the Word of God seems to indicate is that at some point there's some kind of opening up to spiritual powers that are not of God. You know, even Paul says that just by being angry unjustifiably and allowing that to simmer can open the door to the devil. Now, I'm not saying if you get angry and you don't deal with it, you're going to be demon-possessed, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we want to be very, very careful, even as believers, that we do not open the door for the devil to get a foothold in our life in any way. Let me be very quick to clarify something. I do not believe at all that a believer can be demon-possessed because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. No evil spiritual power can take possession of us or take control of us. But can I tell you that Christians can be very much oppressed, spiritually speaking? We just asked for testimonies of how many people felt that way, and God did something, right? Yeah. So without getting into the how and why and whatever, this man somehow in his life had an unclean, evil spirit within him, and Jesus cast him out. You see, Jesus had the authority. His authority was not just to speak the truth, but to do something about it. And he cast this demon out. And I love the fact that even though the demon did everything he could to hurt this guy, he was unharmed when it was all over. It's true the demon cast him down and all that, but you know what? He was unharmed. Now it's very interesting that in this, and in a little bit later in the passage we're going to read today, and in many other places, you see Jesus dealing with demons, and they start speaking and say, We know who you are. What do you have to what are you going to do to? And he says, Be quiet. Why does he do that? Well, the Word of God doesn't tell us specifically exactly why he did it, but there's a lot of good reasons why Jesus did not want the demon speaking on his behalf. One of them is the fact that whatever Jesus said and did, he wanted to be accepted on his own merits and the fact that he had come from God and God's working in and through his life and through his words. He didn't need or want the support of demons, okay? I mean, can you imagine if you had to apply for a job or something else, you need a character reference, and you say, you know what, I know a really good mob boss. I know a really good criminal I could get a character reference from. No, 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 that's not the type of person that you want to get a character reference. Jesus didn't need a character reference from a demon. But not only that, they were revealing the truth. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. And as we said many times, the people were expecting the Messiah. They were desperately wanting the Messiah. But their idea of the Messiah was somebody who was going to come in, kick out the Romans, establish God's kingdom, and bring peace and prosperity for everyone. You know, today's Palm Sunday. 
It's one of the main reasons the people were so excited when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem because he had finally come to the end of his life and he was willing for everybody to know that he really was the Messiah even though they had the wrong idea about it. And he was willing for them to proclaim him to be that one who had come in because he knew that that was what was going to set the fire to the fuse that would bring about his death. You see, the Bible did talk about a Messiah that was going to come and reestablish God's kingdom and bring peace and prosperity, and Jesus will do that one day. But the Bible also talked about the, the one who was going to come was going to be the suffering servant who was going to die for the sins of the world. That's why Jesus came. And he didn't want the demons to have free reign to say, he's the Messiah. And people say, yeah, he is. Let's make him king. You know, and, and everything, God's plan for him and his ministry totally get totally off track. And not only that, but that would cause friction and conflict with the Roman authorities and with the religious authorities way too soon. He knew it was coming, but it's still three years off. He doesn't need that right now, so he tells the demons to be quiet. But the other thing that caused amazement for the people is that there were other people during that time that were, quote, exorcists, and they cast out demons. Jesus did, just did it with a word because he had the authority. He said, you're done, be gone. Get out of there. The other exorcists, they had all these potions they'd mix up and you had to drink and do that. They had all these incantations and for the spiritual ones, all these prayers and all these things you had to do and unusual things. Uh, you can do your own research, but there are all kind of crazy, strange things that they would have these demon-possessed people to do to try to get rid of the demon. But Jesus just said, that's it, be gone. Let's go on, verse 36. It says here, And they were all amazed. There's that amazement again. And they said to one another, What is this word? Talking about that word of authority. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. It's like, wow, he just spoke. Boom, it's over. Not like the guy down on the corner in that shop, you know, when you tell a guy, and they have to go there three days, and they're doing, you know, no, it's just done. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The amazement, the things that Jesus, is just, the word's just spreading everywhere. Everywhere. Let's go on, verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue. See, this is all still happening in the morning, Sabbath morning in synagogue, worshiping with God's people. He's spoken, he's shared, he's taught with authority, he's cast the demon out of the sky. Now it's time to go home for Sabbath lunch. I almost said Sunday lunch, but this is Saturday. They want to go home to Sabbath lunch, and they're going to Simon Peter's house. Simon Peter has a house. He lives in with his wife and his brother Andrew and his mother-in-law. Simon must have really loved his mother-in-law. That's all I'm going to say about that. So, I loved my mother-in-law, just saying. Verse 38, and he arose, Jesus arose, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, probably something like malaria, which is very common in the area of Capernaum because it's so low and close to the water. But the words that are being used here indicate that she is close to death. This is a very serious situation. And they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. You can tell she is a mother. Uh, I don't know how many of you maybe have seen any of the shows from the series they're producing called The Chosen 
uh, which I happen to really like. Some people really like them, some don't. That's okay. It doesn't matter. It's basically a reenactment of Jesus' life and uh, stories from the Gospels and that kind of stuff. But it shows this particular one and, and, and Peter's wife's mother. His mother-in-law is sick. She's out of her mind, just delirious. Jesus heals her, and she wakes up and says, What am I doing in bed? It's time to fix lunch. <laughs> and she gets up and starts fixing food and all that kind of stuff. But that's her response. That's, that's just who she is. But Jesus heals her. We go on to verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You're the Son of God, and he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Sun's going down. He's at Peter's house. All of a sudden, this crowd begins to form. All these people, and the words that are used here is that they're carrying people on stretchers, on mats. People that can't, they're bringing anybody and everybody who's sick or oppressed by the devil or whatever. And the reason they waited till sundown is that they were not allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. They were not allowed to do anything considered work, which means to carry anything. They couldn't have carried someone who had to be carried to be, you know, and their days went from sundown to sundown. So as soon as sundown hit, Sabbath is over. Okay, we're ready to start the next day. That's kind of strange for us, but that's the way they did things back then. So all these restrictions of the Sabbath are now lifted, and they can all come to Jesus. And it says Jesus touches them one by one. He lays his hands on them. He prays for them. He heals them. He casts out demons. Indication, a great multitude of people. Again, this is something I never even thought about before, but I mentioned the, the show The Chosen. Um, when I watch this particular episode, where it shows us, it shows the disciples are kind of hanging around and Jesus is ministering to people and stuff, and it gets late into the night, and all the people are finally gone. And Jesus comes back, and he's just kind of stunned because he is exhausted. I never, th- I mean, I know that Jesus was not only God, but he was human, and the Bible talks about how he got tired. In fact, that one time he fell asleep in the boat, and the great storm's going on, didn't even notice he was so tired. But can you imagine you yourself personally praying for hundreds, perhaps, of people one-on-one, taking your time? How exhausting that would be. Just kind of gave me another little insight into what it must have been like, what it might have been like for Jesus. But he healed so many people. Go on to verse 42. The next day. And when it was day, and if you look at this story in Mark and the other Gospels, it says, early before the sun had risen. Keeping in mind, Jesus had had a long Sabbath, up late the night before, praying for hundreds of people, exhausted. But in the morning before the sun rose, he departed and went to a desolate place. Why? Mark tells us in Mark one thirty-five, he did that to go pray. Even after such a busy day and such an intense time, You would think he'd say, hey, Father, you know, this has been a rough day. Can I sleep in in the morning? And I'm not saying God said no. I'm just saying that spending that time alone with his father was so important to him, so crucial to his ministry. It didn't matter how difficult the day be. And I'm not against rest. You know, you you have a hard day and you can rest the next day. You take advantage of that. But we need to make time for God. We need to make time for our Father. 
spent time with him. And this is what Jesus is doing. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. They're saying, Jesus, come back to town. We, we want to hear some more stuff. We got some more stuff we need you to do. Just come on back, Jesus. Come on, come on back to Capernaum. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea, which means all of the area of God's people. And so we have this summary, a summary of Jesus' ministry here at the beginning with specific examples of what he's doing. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, and he is not just staying in one place, he's going to where the people are. He's going wherever he's needed. He's going wherever somebody needs to hear the good news of the gospel. And we see these two words, amazing authority. The people are amazed. They're astonished because of the authority he has in what he says and in what he does. Those are great stories. But what does that have to do with us today? So I was studying this all this last week, and I was praying over it. So many things came to mind. And I'm going to do something today that you're not supposed to do as a preacher. But don't worry. It's not going to make the sermon any longer. Not going to make it any shorter either. But I'm just saying... All the things is when you're going to preach a message, you should focus on one main thought and just really zoom in on that, and that's it. But you know what? God gave me a number of things in this passage, and I believe that each one of these needs to be heard today, and each of us may need to hear different ones and apply them to our life. But they are all tied together. They're all tied together because they relate to Jesus' amazing authority. So let me just go through them with you real quickly, okay? The first one is this, and it's just the basic truth. Jesus has amazing authority. He didn't just have it when he was here on earth. He still does. Because Jesus is God. He always has been. He was God before he came to earth. He was God while he was on the earth, although he was human also. And he still is God. And he has all authority. And he has authority to do amazing things. And he still does do amazing things. He's the same today as then. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And just like then, he had the authority to know and to speak the truth. He still speaks the truth today. And just like then, he had the authority over spiritual forces that come against his people. He still has that authority today. And just as then he had the authority to heal people supernaturally and miraculously, he still has that authority today. And that's why I started the sermon by taking that little poll. How many of you have experienced that in your own life? And so many hands went up. It's not in our story, but we're going to see it in a couple of chapters. In Luke chapter 5, verse 24, it says that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And that becomes a big deal because only God can forgive sins. And that's the beginning of when he lets it out there that maybe he might be God. Jesus has this authority. He's got this amazing authority. And the second truth I see here is this. Jesus uses this authority for our good. He loved people. He cared about them. One of the words that's most used about him, it's not in our story today, but it's most used about him and his interaction with people is that he's filled with compassion. He loves people. Now, his primary purpose for coming was to die that our sins could be forgiven, but it's too early in the story for people to understand that. And even though that's the most important thing that he did and we need in our lives is that forgiveness of sins, 
He didn't just come and say, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. You guys are miserable. You're sick. You're oppressed by the devil and by people. And, but you know what? I just came to die. Sorry. Let me just tell you, there's some good news that's coming. No, he met people right then and there. He touched them and met their needs. Jesus uses his authority for our good, but there's another condition there. He uses his authority for our good according to the Father's purposes. You see, at the very end of our story today, when the people wanted them to stay there in Capernaum, hey, come back to town. Apparently he went up into the hills to pray or whatever they found him. Come back to town. He says, no, I've got to go to other places. He says, because this is my purpose. Can I tell you, God wants what's best for you. But whether we want to admit it or whether we like it or not, God also knows what's best for you. You know, we read stories like this and say, well, look, at it, it says that Jesus healed all of them. Why doesn't he heal everybody today? You know, I asked you to raise your hands earlier for something, and I'm not going to force you to, but how many of you have you prayed for a healing that God hasn't done yet? Here's a number of you. How many of you prayed about some other situation? It wasn't physical or whatever, and it's like God still hasn't, at least as far as I can tell, it's, it's not solved yet. How many of you are in that kind of situation? Yeah. And there's situations like that in the Bible, but when Jesus was on earth, it, it says he healed everybody in, in, in a number of contexts. I happen to believe there's a couple people he didn't heal that he could have. In the book of Acts, it talks about Peter and John going up to the temple, and there's a guy there that's lame, you know, and they heal him, and it provides a great opportunity for touch his life and touch many others' lives, but it says he's been there for 40 years. How many times did Jesus walk right past him and not heal him? Something to think about. I know there's teaching out there that says God wants his people healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time. Perfect health. And you've got that authority. Now, we have authority in Christ. I'm going to come to that. We sang about that this morning. We have the authority that God gives us. God does want to work in our lives, but there are those that would say that God wants to take care of every single, and he wants to do it right now. And if you are sick in any way or you've got some major need or whatever and you've prayed about it and God hasn't done it, apparently there's sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. Well, I'll tell you what, sin in our lives can cause some problems and not having enough faith can have some problems. We need to make sure our lives are right and we need to trust God in faith. But can I tell you that the Bible is also so very clear that God allows difficulties in our lives, including physical difficulties and financial difficulties and all that kind of stuff, and he's going to use them to bring about good. So we can pray for healing. We can pray for deliverance. We can pray for provision. And we should do so in faith, knowing that God loves us and he wants to work in our situation, but also trusting him to do what is right and what is best. We had a membership class yesterday morning, and as part of that, we talk about the things that we believe as far as being assemblies of God, and we talk about divine healing, and we believe that God still heals today. <laughs> a lot of you, most of you, gave testimony already this morning. He's done that. But you know what? God's the one that's God. It's up to him as to how and when. We're just going to pray, and we're going to pray in faith. God, you're a loving God, and you want to heal, and we're praying for healing. And can I, I just want to give a little commercial here. I already did it a couple of times, but when I get to the end of my message here in just a little bit, I'm going to invite you to come as if Jesus is standing here. Jesus is here, and bring to him whatever needs you have, whether it's a physical one or a spiritual one or whatever it is, and just ask him to touch you. And I believe God's going to touch people today. I can't tell you exactly what he's going to do. I can't make any promises to you because I'm not God. 
And I don't have a specific word from God about your situation. But I can tell you that if you come to him, he will work in your life. And if you're surrendered to him, he will do what is good and what is right and what is best. And I believe he wants to touch people today. So I encourage you to prepare for that. And those of you that are watching online, God can touch you right where you are. So as we go on, Jesus uses his authority for our good, but according to the Father's purposes. And because of that, we can't tell Jesus what he should or shouldn't do. I mean, look at these people in Capernaum. They had a good heart. They were so excited about Jesus. They go find him in the hills and say, Jesus, come back. We need you here all the time. Just stay here. He says, I can't. I've got other things I've got to do. Being here in the flesh, he can only be in one place at a time. Granted, now he can be with all of us all the time. But all I'm just trying to say is point out that same principle is there, is that there's a lot of things we'd love for Jesus to do. And we can ask him for anything. But we need to leave it up to him as he's following the Father's purposes to do what he knows is best for us. And because of that, we should submit to Jesus' authority in every area. It's another truth I drew out of here. We should submit to Jesus' authority in every area. Here's the thing we get excited about. Jesus, exercise your authority to heal me, please. And we can ask that. And when he does, we're excited. Jesus, exercise your authority to deliver me from this oppressive spiritual thing I seem to be under, please. And when he does, we're excited. But how many times do we say, Jesus exercise your authority in my life by speaking your word to me about my sexuality, about my finances, about what kind of husband I'm being, about what kind of wife I'm being. Not me personally, but... You see, this passage talks about Jesus using his authority to heal people, to cast out demons, but the main thing is that his authority to teach and to declare God's word for his people. And we get all excited about the supernatural, the miraculous, that thing that takes us out of pain, that thing that solves our problems. But we don't get near as excited about the fact that Jesus has authority to speak to our lives and tell us how to live them. And saying that, I've said this so many times, but some of you, I see some new faces out there. When God tells us something, it's not to spoil our fun. It may seem like it at the time. It's because he wants what's best for us. Sin is fun for a season, but it will destroy you. God wants to save you from some of those consequences. We don't need to pick and choose. Jesus, I want you to heal me. Jesus, I want you to deliver me. Jesus, I need you to help in this situation with my finances. Jesus, would you please help me with my spouse? Jesus, would you please help me with my kids? But please don't mess with my finances. Please don't tell me that the reason I'm having some struggle with my wife is because I'm not showing love to her like I really should. Please don't tell me that stuff. We can't pick and choose. We can't pick and choose. And I came across this statement. I should have put it on the PowerPoint, and I didn't. I'm sorry. Jesus' message and our response to it is more important than miracles. And if you got that, the truth of God's word and our obedience to it is more important than miracles. Just let that sink in. The fourth thought that came from this passage, and I love this. Jesus cares for every individual individually. I want you to think about this. When the crowd gathered at the house after the sun had set, Sabbath is over, they can carry the sick and the wounded and stuff. They're all there. Couldn't Jesus have just stepped out on the porch and said, you know what, guys, it's been a long day. 
Lord, just touch them, heal them, and deliver them, and then boom, everything would be taken care of in a split second. Don't you think Jesus could have done that? Of course he could, but he didn't. Instead, he went out among the people. And I have a feeling he wasn't rushed. And he took his time. He laid hands on each of them as individuals and prayed for them individually. I think one of the reasons why God put that in the scripture is to let us know that God cares for me, not just because I'm a part of the group of Christians and Marion Oaks Assembly of God. God loves every single one of us. And he loves you. As we talked about earlier during prayer, God rejoices over you. God takes joy in you. Not everything you say and do, but as his child. If you are his child, he loves you for you. He created you uniquely. He's got a unique plan for you and your life. And he loves you. And for those of you who do not have a relationship with him, he's not your father. He longs to be your father. That's why Jesus came to die for our sins so we could be put back in right relationship with God. Jesus cares for every individual individually. The next one, you say, well, how many are there, Pastor? There's only six. We're on number five. When Jesus touches us, we should serve him by serving others. Where does that come from? When he healed Peter's mother-in-law, what was her response? Oh, I feel so much better. Somebody bring me some tea. You know, I haven't eaten for a couple of days. I've been sick. Is there any food around? She got up and began to serve. Again, just, just an illustration, just an example. God has done so much for us. We should turn around and serve him. And the best way we can serve him is by serving others. However God leads on a day-to-day basis or on an ongoing basis to get involved in a particular ministry or a particular way of serving people in Jesus' name, God has been so good to us. Let's not just revel in and say, oh, I'm so blessed. I'm going to kick back and, and put my feet up and just enjoy it. We can do that. But let's take that blessing that God put into our lives and say, I'm going to invest in other people. And that leads to the last one. Um, let me just mention that we need to follow Jesus' example. We need to do it for their good, but also according to the Father's purpose. The last one here, number six. Jesus commissions us to minister with his authority to those around us. We sang earlier that song, Champion. It says, I have the authority that Jesus has given me. That, those words are so important. I have authority, but I don't have any authority in myself. Okay, I mean, other than what I might have as a human being, but I'm talking about spiritually, I don't have any. I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor a long time, but I don't have any authority in and of myself. I only have the authority that God has given to me, and God has, but God has given you authority too. On the basis of the truth of his word. And we need to take that authority and use it to the minister to the people around us. We see that, and we're going to see it as we go continue to go through the story of Jesus' life, where Jesus trains his disciples for what's going to happen after he's gone. He says, okay, this is a training time. I'm going to send you all out two by two, okay? And so this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to places I haven't been yet. You're going to preach and teach about the kingdom of God, but I'm going to give you the authority and the power to pray for people and they're going to be healed and to cast out demons and they're going to be cast out. And that's exactly what happened. And he did that a couple of times over those three years or so that he was ministering. He sent his disciples. Sometimes he sent the 12 out. So one place it says he sent out the 70 or the 72, whichever number's right there. 
And they came back rejoicing. Jesus, it happened. <laughs> we went out preaching and man, people were healed and, and people were delivered. And we see when we read further in the book of Acts, again, a second book that Luke wrote, the early church saw that stuff happening. And all through history, when God's people have been seeking God and seeking to minister for him, God's word has gone out and he's confirmed it with the miraculous. Maybe not on the same level as when Jesus was doing it, but he still confirms the word with with signs following. But I want to wrap it all up with this one scripture that you're all very familiar with. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. Right in that same time frame, maybe a couple days before. It's it's, it's in that time frame toward the end of his 40 days with the disciples before he goes to heaven. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I've got it all. I've got the authority. But I'm going to send you out. Go, therefore. The implication is this authority that I have, I am going to manifest it. I am going to use it through you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, I will be with you. I'm taking my authority. I'm going to let you use it. Now, you need to use it for the good of others. You need to use it according to the Father's purposes. But I'm giving you my authority. I'm sending you out. So he commissions us to minister with his authority to those they're around us. So this amazing authority is used by Jesus for us, but it also can be used by Jesus through us. So how do we respond today? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have a relationship with God. He's not your Father. I encourage you to put your trust in Him based on what he's done for you at the cross. If you're not really clear about that, what that means, then please come talk to me, talk to my wife, talk to one of our elders. Surrender your life to Christ. But as I said, there's a number of truths that God brought out here, and it may hit each of us a little bit differently. There may be some of us that say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of where I need to be with God, and I don't have any known sin in my life, and actually life is pretty good right now. I'm in pretty good health and everything. You know, we all have needs, but maybe God's just saying, you know, you need to surrender to God's purposes. Maybe there's something God wants you to do, and you know it. He's been speaking to your heart. You've been kind of resisting, and, and God's saying, you know, now's the time. Surrender. Surrender to my purposes. Some of you may need Jesus' touch today because you're sick. You're in pain. And you need healing. And I just encourage you to ask Jesus for it. Again, I can't tell you exactly what he's going to do or when he's going to do it or how he's going to do it, but ask him for it. Some of you may feel oppressed, spiritually down. Just It's more than just, I've had a bad day, but the enemy is really coming against me. And you need, you're not demon-possessed, but you just need some deliverance. and Just ask him for it. Some of you may be battling some strong temptation. It's been extra strong recently, and the enemy's not oppressing you. He's just coming right at you, one after another, after another, tempting me again and again and again. And I resist this time. I'm doing good, but then I gave in that time. And, and you just, Lord, give me some deliverance. Help me to stand strong. Ask him for it. Some might say, you know what? I've been enjoying God's blessings for so long, and I've not really been doing what I should be doing to really spread those blessings to take that authority and to to minister to other people. And I'm just going to say, Jesus, here I am. How do you want to use me? Show me. Speak to me. And the last thing is, 
He told us to go and make disciples. We talked about this the last couple of weeks with Missions Convention. Maybe today it is like you say, oh, Jesus, you know what? You have all authority. You're giving some of that authority to me specifically so I can talk to people and love people in your name. How do I need to do that? Who do I need to do that to? I don't know exactly how it applies to you, but this is what I want us to do. Let's all stand together. And our worship team is going to lead us in a song. I don't know what song they've picked. It doesn't really matter. Because here's what I want to ask you to do. If you are able to do so, you may be here and you're not physically able to do this. But if you need something from Jesus today, or you're saying, Jesus is speaking to me, I'm ready to surrender something to him, or I'm asking him for something, I'm asking for wisdom, I want to invite you to come to the front as if Jesus is physically standing here. He's not physically standing here, but he is here. You say, well, he's where I am too. I say, yes, I know he is. But as a step of faith, just as the people came to that home where they knew Jesus was because they needed a touch from him. And you can go ahead and start coming now. I see some taking attendance. Should I come now or not? I invite you to come. A lot of times we have our elders come and be ready for prayer. I'm not going to do that today. Although elders, if you feel led to go and pray with anybody or lay a hand on them, please feel free to do so. I specifically asked one of our elders to come pray for our worship team because they're going to be up here ministering. They haven't had the opportunity to come down. Although we've told them, if God's ever dealing with you, go down. Pastor Jan's going to go in the back and pray for the people serving in the back. But as they begin to sing, if you need a touch, come. You don't need anybody to stand between you and God. It's scriptural to have the elders pray for you. But you know, the people didn't come to Jesus and end up going to Peter and saying, Peter, would you talk to Jesus for me? Again, there's nothing inappropriate about that. They went straight to Jesus. So if you need something from Jesus, I encourage you to come and talk to him yourself. Someone else may come and lay a hand on you. They love you. They want to pray for you. But you talk to Jesus for yourself. Let's take a couple moments to do that right now. Hallelujah. As we close our time together this morning, those that are still praying, please continue. Would you that are here join me in praying for those that are not? I'm talking specifically those that are watching online. There are many that are watching online because they can't be here. They're not close enough. They have physical needs. They're caring for other people with physical needs or something. If they could be here, they would be here, but they're not there may be some that are watching today and you're sitting there and you're saying, I wish I could be in that place. God's with you where you are. So would you guys pray with me for them? Father, we pray for all of those who are watching today. Lord, even if it's a recording years from now, Lord, your presence is there. But Lord, this morning, right now, I pray that you would touch every single one who is watching this, where they are, that they would know that you are not only present in this sanctuary, in this place of meeting, but you are present in their home. And if they know you as their Savior, you're present in their heart. And I pray that you would do whatever needs to be done in their life. God, bring healing, physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, relational healing. Bring, Lord God, deliverance from spiritual oppression and depression. Bring encouragement, bring strength, bring provision, bring wisdom. Help them, Lord God. You know what they need. You know what they're asking you for right now today. I pray you do it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray as we leave this place today, we would go once again with the, with the knowledge that we have the privilege of knowing you, Lord God. We talked about amazing 
Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from sin and pouring so many other blessings in our lives. As we leave, I pray that we would go out as your emissaries, as your ambassadors, as your representatives to make a difference in our world, Lord. Again, not because we're something, but because you have given us authority and your spirit dwells within us and you will use us if we're yielded to you and we follow your leading. So, Lord, give us wisdom. Show us what to do, what to say. Use us, Lord God, in other people's lives. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it. Hallelujah. Before we say amen, can we just rejoice one more time? Lord, we love you today. Lord, we praise you today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord God, for the way you've used your authority in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Love each other before you leave this place today. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 